Welcome everybody to episode 2 of Total Nonstop Recall, talking about Turning Point 2004 and everything around it. I'm Garrett Gidney with Impact Wrestling, social media guy. I'm joined by Dave Hodson of Impact Wrestling. Dave, we're on episode 2, how are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you doing today, Garrett? It's in the middle of a heat wave here, so I hate it. I didn't think you got those over there. I thought it was supposed to be, uh, what is it, temperate weather? Yeah, it's, it's it's like ten to twelve degrees Celsius at all times. That's that's ideal weather, Dave. That is mild and no, not humid. It's not warm. It's not cold. It's not raining. It's just 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 right in the middle at all times. That's my ideal weather, Dave. That's my speed too. So I'm, I'm envious. I'm sorry to hear about this heat wave, but but let's let's turn up the heat on this episode. How about that? Oh, the real heat wave is turning point two thousand four. <laughs> Everyone's talking about it. Are they, though? <laughs> when they when was the last time, before you were doing this podcast, that you heard somebody talking about Turning Point 2004? Mm, I guess it's not on the tip of everybody's tongues. But, you know, if you go back into into the history of, uh, of Total Nonstop Action for any of these pay-per-views, there's always something interesting going on. It's people you didn't think were in the company at the time and, and matches that surprise you and... That's what it's all about. We're putting this on the tips of everybody's tongues. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Yep. And as you mentioned, a lot of people showed up. Well, not a lot of people, but DDP. I think DDP is like the big, look, it's a new guy. It's DDP. Yeah, he comes in and I had kind of forgotten he was even involved in the company. So that's, you know, it's kind of a cavalcade of of, of people he didn't expect to see. A lot of them of ex-world championship wrestling stars. And I think that's what's interesting about impact and tna at the time is that you know it's it's a mix of this very progressive you know we're pushing to the future we've got aj styles we've got pd williams chris saban uh and the x division style mixed with the sort of if wcw had just continued uh, the logical continuation of the company so it's those two those two ideology at loggerheads and and it's it it's never disappointing to see someone like diamond dallas page right I really like DDP. I've always really liked DDP. And this is DDP with sort of a a new do, right? This is different than we've seen him in, in WCW. And he was kind of propelled into something that worked for him here with Raven, something very familiar, reinvigorating their issue that they had. And, and, and I think the fans are pretty into it. Yeah, he's fresh off that. Well, not fresh off, a few years off of that WWE run where he was just like the positivity guy and not doing much. And he's kind of propelled into a, a nice little thing to go on Raven here. He's beaten up Raven for reasons we don't yet know. There is an issue. I'm not sure do they ever resolve that issue. That might be a disappointment in, in upcoming episodes. The the whole like triangle between DDP, Raven, and Eric Watts. I can't remember what the actual resolution is. But the whole idea is just like DDP has a problem with Raven. Eric Watts is involved somehow. And DDP wants to beat up Raven. But like I've always liked DDP. And he was, he's like a remarkable wrestler in that... He didn't really make it big until he was like in his late 30s. You know, most guys break in in their 20s and then, you know, they're main eventers by the time they're 30. DDP, when he was in WCW as like world champion, that was when he finally reached the top. And he was in his late 30s, which is extraordinary. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. I would kind of put him in the same category as CM Punk almost, not in terms of breaking in late in their careers or late in their uh, kind of primes. But in terms of doing the most with with uh, you know not the typical uh, athletic skills that you'd expect from a top uh, wrestling star, but you know using kind of their charisma to to get over and and it's never a disappointment to see him. And this is kind of like you said, classic DDP. Not the motivational speaker, not the 
stalker DDP that that we got in WWE. So for that reason, it's it's uh, uh, it's pretty fresh. You're saying he wasn't using athleticism, Dave. He was using the power of yoga. Well, yeah. I mean, this isn't even DDP. This is uh, what do you think he's utilizing yoga at this point? I think I think he was. Well, I think this is around the time he launched DDP Yoga. Oh, really? Hmm. I didn't know there was that much of it. Was that when I was yoga for guys? Y-R-G, yeah. Yoga yeah, for you... regular guys, Dave. Regular not, not just guys. guys, regular guys. What constitutes a regular I would love to be a regular guy at some point. Have you ever done DDP Yoga? You know, I have. I did it for uh, off and on for maybe three months. It's pretty funny, actually, because... Uh, so... The videos they at the bottom of the screen it tells you what position you're you're going to be doing, mm-hmm. and it's sort of your typical. Uh, he puts his own spin on on it with, with sort of like macho guy uh, guy focused terms and trying to kind of make it you know not these not downward dog and uh, and warrior pose and these things. But and then when there's a break for water, it just says water at the bottom of the screen. So that was my favorite position. Water. Water is a good position in yoga. You didn't like the diamond cutter? I, I like, you know, that's what I like, and and it's uh, anything that injects, and and I like going through a service because you know, suddenly it'll just be like uh, Stevie Richards doing one of the classes, <laughs> so it's an excuse to kind of, you know, creep on Stevie it, it Richards. Gives, yeah, I like anything that gives me my uh, my my classic, you know, uh, Sunday night heat nostalgia feels while I'm while I'm doing exercise. Now you weren't a big BWO guy. Or Dr. Stevie. We'll get to that in four years. <laughs> we'll get there. We're going to get there. I promise you we'll get there. So, you mentioned on the last episode that like half these episodes are basically the 30-second ads for the pay-per-view. I feel like it was worse this time. <laughs> you may, not know, you may me, not know me, but you will. I played in two Super Bowls for the Olympics. But this was my real passion. My dream. My legacy. My reason for living. Turning point. The turning point. The turning point is here. The moment I live the dream, I dare to dream. Destiny. Destiny. Destiny awaits. TNA Wrestling presents Turning Point live December fifth on pay per view. Yeah, and and we're not we're not watching this in in sort of a, the, the ideal situation. Like when I watched the we watched four episodes and then we watched the Turning Point pay per view. So at least for me, I, I didn't watch one every every Thursday. I sort of binged through the four episodes and then watched the pay-per-view on its own. So this is a case where I feel like, yeah, it's, maybe I don't think it was quite the uh, as much of a barrage on the senses if you're watching these in its original time slot, which was what, Thursdays at 3 in the afternoon? When were these on? Uh, Fridays at 3 in the afternoon. Fridays at 3. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is a barrage. But even within some of the episodes, you know, I think they're using that... Uh, you know, definitely driving home the, the 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 barrage on the senses with the ads, but that's you know you got to sell pay per views. That's what the, that's what they're all about. They're out of the weekly pay per view game at this point. It's all about the big these tent pole pay per views. So God love them. I'm pretty sure there was three in a row on one of these shows. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was an editing error. Maybe that's on us. Maybe we maybe some maybe we screwed up with the export when we put it on the site. But who knows? I suppose yeah. The 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 ad breaks are obviously taken out, so it might be like two before the ad and then one after. But when you take the ad breaks out, it's just three in a row. But still, it's still three in a row. <laughs> well, whatever gets people watching Turning Point two thousand four is uh is uh is good by me. And and you know in terms of ads and selling 
Don West is just, uh, I feel like we talked about this last time, but that guy can make me interested in anything. And, and it, uh, it, it kind of cheesed me off how much Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, because the, in a few of these episodes to further their, their issue, uh, they come out and kind of sit in on commentary and, and they shoo Don West away and they make fun of him for selling baseball cards on, on, uh, the home shopping network. And, and that, that to me was effective because how, how can you not like Don West? He's, yeah, and this is the the full not the NWO takeover, Dave. It's the Kings of Wrestling takeover. Yes, very different. This is very different from NWO two thousand or whatever that group was. Did you get your full fix of of NWO nostalgia, WCW nostalgia from this? Down to the 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 very memorable spot where Kevin Nash threw Rey Mysterio into one of the production trucks. He did it through Amazing Red on one of these shows, literally move for move reenacting that spot. Yeah, this is sort of WCW cosplay. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I'm going with it. But yeah, this is sort of you know, in a, you can tell that they're definitely trying to lean into trying to trying to attract back these you know perhaps uh, legacy WCW fans who maybe weren't too enamored with WWE product at the time. Um, and, and this is pretty a pretty pretty direct blunt way of kind of saying uh, you know we're we're trying to take back some of that WCW magic, but. You know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of the the worst of what uh, the what the NWO became, and and you know, even down to Jeff Jarrett being in being in this group, and it, it feels like being in the Scott Hulk Hall, Hogan role in this group as well. Yeah, kind of surrounding himself by uh, with uh, with Scott Hall and and, and Kevin Nash. Uh, it felt very self indulgent, though, didn't it? It's just like, look at us, we're the NWO, we're the cool guys. And I feel like, so so they're called the Kings of Wrestling, mm-hmm. and it kind of turns into, as you get closer to, to, to Turning Point, a kind of a riff on Elvis, right? Elvis the King. And I feel like that was probably, you know, Kevin Nash taking the piss. And, and then across these episodes in this pay-per-view, he's in full no Fs given mode. He's literally dressed in a towel for most of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... And so I feel like at one point he's like, Hey Jeff, you know what we should do? We should dress up like Elvis. We should be three Elvises. Jeff's like, yeah, you know, we tried that on the first pay per view, mixed mixed reviews, and but but Kevin, you know, working his magic is kind of like, no, I, I really think we should dress up like Elvises and use a Elvis type theme song. And even in the the opening package for for Turning Point, there's a they're they're driving around in a in some sort of classic Cadillac, and they're all, they're all doing Elvis stuff. So I feel like that is almost. I feel like. Kevin Nash's whole whole run, at least how much I've I've seen so far of this one, is him sort of like you know seeing how far he can get and and uh, how little he can do. Even in the in one of these episodes, he's getting out of the ring and he almost falls over and he says something. <laughs> tonight, tonight it starts the Genesis. Oh, it's almost a bump. Starts tonight. It was almost a bump on the house. Right into the uh, picked up audibly by uh, by by the camera mic, something like, "Oh, um, I almost took a bump there. You almost got a bump for free." <laughs> so that that to me is kind of the defining statement of of this little uh, this little run. Or I think in the very in the November twelfth impact where they they come out and they're kind of rambling away, and then uh, Scott Hall comes out to him and is like, "This isn't live. If they don't like what you say, they're just going to take it out." <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't. Oh yeah, that's uh. So it's kind of like I feel like I feel like Jeff Jarrett's almost the guy who you know 
He wants the cool kids at his birthday party. Mm. So even if even if they don't like him that much, you know, he, he's giving them a good goodie bag. And he just kind of wants the wants to surround himself with as many cool kids as possible. With cool kids being, you know, these these uh, these proven stars. I'd like to think this is a Flying Elvis tribute act rather than an NWO tribute act. I think so too. I think that that well, I thought that was clear. They're just well, they have the theme song. They literally have the Flying Elvis theme song at Turning Point. So, really, huh? Well, uh, well, there you go. It's just a. Just a tribute act, and and you know, I, I it's it's up to people, up to the classic TNA fans, which they prefer, flying Elvises or uh, stationary Elvises. <laughs> oh, they're just big Jorge Estrada fans. <laughs> yes. Going into Turning Point, we had a number of like reoccurring stories. There was obviously that that whole uh, Kings Wrestling thing was to set up a three way or a six man with uh, Hardy Styles and Savage, and Savage literally his only appearances in the show are to come out and it's like, "Ooh yeah, go away, Elvises." Yeah, it's there's a there's actually an episode that I thought I because you kind of you click away and you come back and continue watching your episode that I would watch the same episode twice just because they both ended in similar fashion with sort of Randy Savage walking down the ramp and, and pointing and that's kind of how it goes out. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I mean a, a polite way to say is kind of accentuating his positives. This is Randy Savage, pretty late in his career and sadly pretty pretty late in life as well. Mm. So you know I. Uh, I think they were happy to get Randy Savage in whatever form they could get him in because this was, you know, it, as uh, even though this is very late career, it still felt special and cool. The fans seemed to be pretty into it, and we'll get to the match in a bit. But you know, just in terms of the the build, it felt it did feel like something pretty uh, pretty exceptional, just because at this point, Macho Man had not been in WWE for some time. Yeah, Macho Man hadn't really been on television for a good five years, and. 52-year-old Macho Man Randy Savage, even not in his bright and colorful and fancy gear, is still Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, this is this is Macho Man sort of his, like, uh, well, he's trench coat and uh, and cowboy hat. He always had the cowboy hat, but the trench coat is new. So you get the feeling that, you know, he's, he's he is trying to cover up a bit, which is a little sad. Um, but, uh, you know, it is still cool. I don't think anyone has ever, like, you know, I, I think... And I guess this is why he had a shorter run in the company. I don't think he wanted to get to the point where sort of him, you know, really, really, uh, you know, being a, a, a disappointment and, and kind of people being like, ah, you should have should have hung it up. He's uh, short and sweet in this run. And, and uh, it is cool to see him, at least for an old school fan. Other major stories going into Turning Point is Chris Saban has a counter to the Canadian Destroyer. I liked it. This was really good. I thought this was kind of like, probably as, as good as kind of old school booking goes and just simple you know i wouldn't not simple in a bad way simple in a good way where it's a, a pretty pretty good ingrained issue with the with the with the counter and also the history with with uh, coach demore having having legitimately correct uh coach both of them and mm-hmm. and uh and brought them to the fore so just good uh good simple issue that i was that i was buying into anything team canada's it was ringing true for me this was you know they were a pretty focal part of the company at the time, so it was just kind of having that the best case scenario of of you know the dastardly foreign heels. Uh, everybody in it was 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 pulling their weight, so I like this this P.D. Williams Chris Saban continuation. Yeah, it's just really simple storytelling, isn't it? It's like P.D. has this move; it's really cool. He beats everybody with it. Chris Saban, who's trained with P.D. Williams, knows the counter to the move. 
So Petey's like, oh my god. And Petey keeps trying to hit it. Because Petey's like, you do not know the counter to this move. And every time he tries to hit it, Saban counters it. And I'm like, that's just that's just good, honest, simple storytelling. Until Chris Saban loses to Kid Cash in the last show before Turning Point for reasons <laughs> I don't really get. But, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it it did it, it, it worked and you know, it built to one of the matches on the pay per view that I really enjoyed. So um, you know, it seemed like, you know, this is the second three hour pay per view. Obviously they it was a really good build and a really good X Division championship match for the first one and and uh, not to spoil what goes on later too much, but I, I thought it paid off again and kind of helped to put that X Division championship um on the matches kind of you were always gonna be guaranteed a pretty pretty decent showing. So other stuff we're going in. We mentioned DDP and Raven a minute ago. I wanted to bring it back up because Raven cuts this amazing rhyming promo on the November 19th show where he just goes into like full verse. It's full Raven. It's like, and he's dressed like a Viking in later weeks. So maybe he's inspired to be a Viking all of a sudden and coming out with these weird guys and he's wearing his Viking helmet and that's less cool. But there's really good rhyming promo. Where it's like, I'll, I'll, here's a, a clip of it. DDP, how dare you lay your grubby paws on a DDP myself when you and I both know that Eric Watts is responsible for all your heartache and agony. You want to hold me accountable? Turning points to place. DDP, you should have stayed retired. You're weak, decrepit. You should have never been hired. You want to make this a game? Take careful aim. You lost your fame. Be very afraid because I'm coming to maim. Bang! It's not the cutter. It's the Raven effect. Six feet under, you'll have time to reflect. Watch the CD-ROM. I'm dropping the bomb. Intellectual Vietnam. You never cross Raven in his home. Goodbye, Paige. Welcome to the Terradome. Quote the Raven. Never more. Raven is great. Raven is great. I feel like this is, you know, I'm assuming that a lot of these guys at the time were given a lot of latitude, probably even more than, than is available now. Um, and I think he kind of took it and was like, and, and, and did a lot with it. And I also feel like with the, the very interesting, I guess you maybe call it a centurion style helmet that he starts wearing at this time, they're shooting this at universal studios. So he's probably just wandering into sound stages, <laughs> picking up props, putting them on his head getting extras hey you two druid looking guys you want to come with me and do uh run in on ddp i think that's what's happening here i don't think i'm uh i'm i'm, I'm inventing this but it, it feels like something you wouldn't you wouldn't script just because it logical it isn't logical but it works with <laughs> with with raven because you know uh you know raven can kind of get away with whatever he wants to because he's just this very articulate weirdo and uh and raven is a highlight across these I feel like those two lads who he comes out with are like thing one and thing two rejects. It's like, oh, we're going for the role of thing one and thing two in Universal Studios. It's it's going to be our big break. And they're like, oh, you're just not thing enough. And then their Raven's like, I have a job for you. Yeah. Would you like to wear a black sheet with a hole cut out for your face and take a diamond cutter off the second rope? Sure. Just be beaten up by DDP all the time. Yeah. Uh, Jay Garrick sent us an email saying, Dear Gakidney, which is, that's my name. Gakidney. Gakidney. He wants us to talk about Cookie Gate, which is, there is like, the the number one rule in pro wrestling is don't sell the rib. <laughs> Dory sold the heck out of this rib. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe, maybe you explain what it is and kind of uh, take us through that. But yeah, this is something that I, you know, as someone who didn't watch, 
TNA at the time, who was a big WWE guy, uh, I was peripherally aware of. You said, Garrett, don't sell the rib, and this is WWE do- almost doing exactly what you would do if you wanted to drive attention to another pay-per-view. And yeah, what is Cookie Gate, Garrett? So in November of 2004, WWE went to Universal Studios to record their 2005 Royal Rumble preview hype video, their whatever, I seem like their their ad for it, basically. And that's the, 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 and is that's the one where they're all, they're dancing around, it's like the West Side Story type deal, right? I think so. The, th- the train one was 2007. I really like the train Royal Rumble one. Do you remember that one? No. Where they're all getting on the train and then they start fighting on the train. I think that was 2007. That's a oh, ad. yes. The subway Garrett. Oh, shush. You and your underground rail. We don't have that here. (laughs) (laughs) One day, maybe. But yeah, they go to Universal Studios at the same time TNA are taping Impact, and they're like, let's bring some cameras over. So they bring Abyss, Tracy Brooks, uh, and uh, the Tree Live crew. Abyss has balloons. Tracy Brooks has cookies. So, you know, and Shay Douglas is there too to document all of this. They're very welcoming about it. They bring cameras over. They film Rey Mysterio without his mask, which in fairness is objectively not cool, but they do blur his face. So, Well, they blur everybody's face just because, you know, as much as they wanted to show this footage, they also, I think, did realize, hey, we, we can get sued for this. And yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, it's the most mild, tame thing known to man. And W is like, oh, delete the tape. Oh, oh, you have to give it to us. We don't want you airing this. Oh, everything you said is true. I feel like where TNA falls short on this is uh, by sending Road Dog BG James because he's just the most annoying person possible in this Cookie Gate video. Do you want some mahi he- mahi, Dave? You want some mahi 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 mahi? I don't know what mahi mahi is. <laughs> I still don't know. I, I feel like I looked it up in preparation for the show, and I I still don't know. It's some sort of fish based food, maybe mm-hmm. like a salad. I was thinking like it was these... just based on the fact that they're catering. I was like, it's probably a salad of some sort, but I don't know that for sure. Yeah, but in in this sort of uh, insurrection and going over to the WWE area of, of Universal Studios, Road Dog just won't stop mentioning mahi mahi. And talking about how Ron Killings ate their mahi-mahi and mahi-mahi. It's just very, I feel like that's a uh, a shortcoming of this cookie gate thing. But but they sure made a meal out of this tape, didn't they? They sure did. They sure did. And it's like, it's it's just kind of like Road Dog goofing around. It's BD James goofing around. And it's really not that big a deal. And it comes, it's like four minutes long. It comes and goes. It's just like, why would you freak out over this, guys? Yeah. But, uh, you know, over the weeks, there's a, they did a poll. Was it a phone poll or a, or online? Oh, I don't know. I'd assume online, okay. but. But it's a poll. Well, should we of, show the uh, tape? <laughs> yeah, to show the tape. And, and it's kind of, uh, you know, this was something they tried the last pay-per-view where fans could vote between Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, mm-hmm. as the on-screen authority figure, or Vince Russo. So I feel like this is another kind of lopsided, you know, leading question do you want us to show this tape that that vince mcmahon doesn't want you to see or not or not should we just should we respect their wishes surprisingly respect their wishes did not win the poll buy our pay-per-view to find out (laughs) yeah it is what it is i think we put this up recently on youtube as a as a as a classic moment maybe it should just be a moment but uh you're saying it's not even classic (laughs) just just a moment um (laughs) But yeah, interesting and 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 kind of a interesting little piece of of TNA history there. I have two other notes from Impact before we get to Turning Point. My first right. one is from November twenty sixth, when 
the show opens with AJ Styles knocking on Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's dressing room and he's like D-Ray 3000 is there and Sharkboy is there and they're really pumping him up and Scott Hall opens the door and AJ like like a coward just punches him in the <laughs> face and runs and like Mike Tanay is like oh yeah they're taking the fight to the Kings of Wrestling it's like that was the most like cowardly thing I've ever seen AJ Styles do yeah yeah he immediately runs away there's seven guys outside the door there's six of them aside from AJ who just do nothing and just showed up to watch and run away <laughs> and and Scott Hall is backed by Kevin Nash but this is Kevin Nash on the couch sitting in a towel sure is so it's almost like I can imagine Kevin Nash and, and Scott Hall were like okay we'll let you get this on us but they get one punch and they run away <laughs> I'm in a towel so that's why I don't get up to do anything <laughs> that's what we're prepared to give you on this day it's like all right well that's what we'll do it was yeah kind of it was very strange it was very a very strange uh little uh little angle and and yeah i wouldn't say it's it's sort of your typical good guy move to to cold cock someone while their friend is wearing a towel and 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 dash off yeah my other one is monty should have won yeah i'm bitter i'm still bitter about this one even we'll get to it again next month but monty monty should have won yeah so there's this is a this is I believe this was the final episode of Impact before the pay-per-view. Jeff Jarrett and Monty Brown and what they're hyping as the biggest uh, match in Impact history, the show, not the organization. And uh, it was about it. In the five months history of the show, this is the first world title match. Okay. Well, that that, that would be why. And really badass match between Jeff Jarrett and Monty Brown. And it takes Double J. uh, He uses a guitar shot, a stroke, and two additional chair shots to finally beat Monty Brown. So, um, yeah, I mean, across my note across the all these episodes of pay per views that I've watched is just Monty Brown. You know, it seemed like the crowd was was right in on him, and this was a this was this was one person who had not been seen in WWE, had not been seen in WCW, uh, aside from AJ, of course, though he was briefly in WCW, but a fresh face who feels like the move was to rally behind. And I know that there, you keep hinting at this, uh, this pay-per-view where it's, it really seems like, uh, Monty Brown was poised to kind of get, get the, the rocket strapped to him and it didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, this match was great. And Monty just seems like a star and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of wrestling's great mysteries in my opinion of, of why Monty was never a world champion and, and why we're, we're not still seeing him out there. Yeah. So this I'm just, I'm just bitter, Dave. Because this is during the Jeff Jarrett reign of terror, where he's had this belt for a while now, and people people are kind of sick of him with this belt. And Monty Brown, I think this is the match where people, and in credit to Jeff Jarrett, because this is by far the best match of Monty Brown's career up until this point. And I think this is the match where people are like, oh, Monty, Monty can go as well. Why doesn't he have this damn belt? <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I, 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 I really like Monty Brown. And I'll share this because we were... I was recently at the uh, Windsor Impact tapings, and uh, and went and uh, Windsor being just across the border from from Detroit and Michigan, home of Monty Brown. And so, who should be there on the I final Monty day? Monty Brown of was taping? from the Serengeti. Dave is the Serengeti in Michigan. Yes. Oh. Yeah, that version of the that iteration of the Serengeti. And uh, thanks for thanks for jumping in on that. That's I was fine. building to something. But who should be at these tapings but but Mr. Monty Brown just kind of hanging out and seeing old friends. So And Monty Brown looked amazing. He looked great. He looked like he looked here. He's got um, kind of one of those close-cut beards, mm-hmm. uh, which looked 
really cool. And he had these kind of bone earrings, like little mini bones going through, um, which looked good. Like he looked ready to go. And, and I hope that he, um, was there kind of being like, guys, look at me. I look really good. Uh, I'm right here. Um, and I, I, you know, I had a chance to chat with him and told him how cool it was to see him and asked when he was coming back to the roster. And he said something like, Oh, you know, I got the itch again now. So fingers crossed Garrett, uh, that Monty Brown, yeah. You know, how great would it be to see him come back and 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 just throw a pounce, one more pounce down on someone? That's all I really want. That brings us to Turning Point 2004, which I think, on the whole, is a much better show than Victory Road. Yeah, I think it hung together more, and this is you know it's easy to attribute that to having the kind of the the first pay per view out of the way where you're throwing stuff. You know, they they had never done a three hour show in the company history, so you're you probably at some point are going to be stretching for time a bit. And, uh, and uh, you know, just any any three-hour pay-per-view is going to be prone to because you're producing more than you normally do, having some dead spots. But no, this this, this show was good. And to, and to kind of further the Monty Brown discussion, uh, looking at the art for this pay-per-view, Monty Brown is front and center. Mm-hmm. The, the poster features Monty Brown himself holding up the Turning Point logo and flanked to his left and right. Two other Monty Browns. So this was all... I wonder if they had big uh, big plans for Monty Brown for this, or if it's just a case of like, hey, we got to put someone on the poster and Monty's in the mix. But uh, I would hazard but, a guess, looking at the fact that they did the title match on the Impact before, that were something to fall through with Hall, Nash, or Savage, the main event of the show was meant to be Monty and Jarrett. Mm. And then, obviously, they got Hall, Nash, and Savage, so that was the big match. Yes. And Monty got dumped to a Serengeti survival match with Abyss instead. Yeah, which was, uh, should we talk about these in order? What? Do, how do you want to go about this? Eh, we'll jump around. Monty Brown against Abyss in a Serengeti survival match, which is essentially a thumbtack match. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this was good. This was uh, kind of like a uh, an ideal power versus power match. Fans were right into it. I was into it. And it really, it really built well until you know the the only the only uh, the only thing that put a damper on it was Abyss who who loses the match. He takes takes the uh, the flip into the tax as he normally does, but uh, pretty much totally misses the tax. Unfortunately, my favorite thing about it is there's like one tack in him, and like they get a real close up shot of like the single tack in his arm. It's like look. Look, there's a thumbtack there. He clearly hit the thumbtacks. He totally missed them except that one, which he managed to get. So he's lost. That's it. Just takes one tack. Because like this stipulation would come back later in TNA, but they call it the match of 10,000 tacks. So maybe this was just like the, 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 the pilot program for it. It's the match of one tack. Well, maybe that is... It all ties into the Serengeti survival theme where, you know... That is that maybe it's a hazard of the of the Serengeti, and not just the you know the wildlife and the the harsh environs, but also you might step on a tack or get it in your arm. One yeah, tack, and it, like I don't think thumbtacks are native to the Serengeti, so odds are it's just going to be a couple stray ones, maybe that people drop while they're taking things off their cork boards. In the Serengeti, yeah, of course, in Serengeti, Michigan, <laughs> which is a real place. Yeah. Well, Chris Sabin is, he's from Hell, Michigan. Yeah. Is that a real place? That's just Michigan. Ah. Hell isn't a place, it's a, it's, a, it's an adjective. 
It's it's not hell, comma Michigan. It's hell in parentheses, Michigan. Yep. Yeah. It's a heavy shot at Michigan. <laughs> yeah. It they're they're yeah. It's it's we we love Michigan. I've never been to Michigan. I don't know how nice Michigan is. Oh, you had to let it should have let it go there. It's not nice. Oh, now you They've now you've a lot did, of issues. Now you've just actually buried Michigan. I guess so. But hey, look at all the talent that came out of there and I got no beef with Michigan. I don't know why I'm going down this tangent. Uh, there, uh, on the topic of Michigan, let's go to Petey and Saban, which was the best match with the worst finish maybe I've ever seen. You didn't like the finish. I didn't like the finish because it was brass knucks, but it looked like he just put cardboard on his hands. So it just looked like the stupidest thing on earth. I noticed that too. I I, um, I liked the idea of kind of having this action-packed match uh, and then, you know, having Petey kind of finish it in a very cheap way. I thought that was that was good for him, but... Yeah, I want to know what was up with these uh, these brass knuckles. Cause it, they, it, they didn't appear to be brass knuckles at all. It just looked like cardboard. It, it mm-hmm. literally just looked like he punched them with cardboard on his hand, which would actually make the punch weaker rather than stronger, I would imagine. Cushion the blow, yeah. of course. Your fists are harder than cardboard, I believe, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I've never used brass knuckles. Maybe that's what they're actually like and sort of <laughs> what we consider to be brass knuckles are sort of like you know movie stage versions where it's like got a big thick big thick part on it um but yeah i don't know other than that um this was great this was uh you know i really i thought scott demore brought the brought the action up on the outside doing what he does you know that's that's why he's out there he does a great job of that thanks boss and uh and you know it, it the, the story was great and i thought the match continued that and Despite the uh, the brass knuckles, this was an, another, another I would say pe- second pay per view in a row where you know the X division kind of thrust itself into a semi main event role. And PD delivered again. He did, and I'm excited to see what's next with him. Uh, it's a better match yet. P- God, PD is the unsung hero of these early shows. <laughs> he really is. You'll have to get him on uh, as as our interview on one of these, and you know I'd, I'd be interested in hearing his thoughts on this because yeah, he. Is such an important part of this, and I would say probably more than more than anyone doesn't really get his due in terms of being pretty a pretty huge part of of the growth of uh, of TNA in this pay per view era. Uh, on the topic of Team Canada, they won back the tag titles in a match that dreadfully confused me because it's one of those things where ingrained in my head every time BG James does the three LK intro, it's soon to be NWA Tag Team Champions of the World. So, in the very rare instances where they're actually NWA Tag Team Champions, it's very jarring. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, NWA TNA proudly brings to you its new Tag Team Champions of the World! Not one, not two, but the three live crew! I I just find it jarring, and I, I understand the carrying over the intro with modifications, but... It's one of those things where I think it's kind of like if you can't do it the full way, you should come up with something different, right? There's so many little modifications and, uh, you know, do his classic New Age Outlaws intro. Um, but uh, I was happy to see my countrymen capture the tag team titles here. Was this their first or their second reign? Uh, no, because they, they had them in the month before, didn't they? <laughs> they just, they, they did just it. flipped it back. Short-term memory. Well, uh, The old 50-50 you know, booking for you, Dave. I mean, when you see Team Canada so prominent on these shows, are you kind of jealous and you wish there was a Team Ireland? How many Canadian... I was going to say how many Canadian world champions have there been, but there's lots. We have we have Finn Balor and Sheamus and 
and uh, Angel Cruz, Ultra Star. These are these are the superstars of wrestling, Dave. You just have your technically proficient wrestlers up there in Canada. Yeah, and so who around this point would have been on the scene from Ireland? Would there have been anybody? Uh, no, <laughs> not really. Well, sorry to to rub the salt in the wound, but well, Seamus it, just... would have been kicking around on the indies at this stage, but like not in any major way. Irish right. whip wrestling being main evented by Sheamus against Drew Galloway in, in three matches, which would eventually become very good matches, but those that, those that, that was like the staple main event here, Sheamus against Drew. That sounds pretty good. I mean, in I like, it's I like, not bad, is it? Yeah, I like Irish whip wrestling. I, that that's a that's a nice little play on words. They're out of business, I think. Ah, uh, I'd never heard of it until now, so that that rings true. Oh well, no way to not know your Irish indie scene, Dave. No, it's a it's a blind spot for me, admittedly. Yeah, Canadians won the belts back. This was a really good little opener. I, I think if you if you keep three three LK to those like very fun sprints, uh, high energy, they just they can deliver in that that environment. I think so, and the tag scene in general at this time was was really really good. There's uh you know we'll see that in the main event actually that just how flush the tag scene was, and I think that was kind of like in the initial years, even in uh, the asylum years largely buoyed by America's most wanted at the top and kind of rotation of other teams like the Naturals and Triple X, but it's a strength and uh and you know that uh that 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 worked here in the opener and it worked in the main event. That brings us we'll talk about the six man tag next. Uh, a question from uh Jeff Flynn. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. <laughs> He basically wants to know what the hell happened with the finish of this match because this this is a bizarre and kind of terrible match. Yeah, and it's I mean this is about as different as you can just between six guys in a match, right? Mm. Um it's AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Randy Savage against Jeff Jarrett, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Why don't you describe the finish? Well, the whole match is basically the Kings of Wrestling beating up on Styles and Hardy. Styles and Hardy get a, little, a few little hope spots, but they're they just they're relentlessly being beaten up, and they're beaten up over and over again. And then Macho Man comes out, and Macho Man's like, "Ooh yeah!" And they lock on th- three sleeper holds. Jeff Jarrett goes for a sunset flip. Macho Man punches him and pins him. <laughs> and that's the finish of this match. This match went 18 minutes. This match shouldn't have went longer than like five if that's what they were going to do. And like by all accounts, like Randy Savage, as we said, he was 52. He was uh, a lot more limited than he'd probably like to be. And I think if you, if you listen to episode one, Scott Moore was like, maybe he wasn't sure whether he even wanted to be here. And we'll talk, And the, the finish of this match, of course, is that Savage wins because the idea is to do Macho Man against Jeff Jarrett the following month as a title match uh, until Macho Man didn't want to lose to Jeff Jarrett, even though he said he was always not going to lose to Jeff Jarrett. And they're still like, do you want to lose to Jeff Jarrett? And he's like, nah, and he walked out. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, there's got to be some. This, I mean, um, it's not of my business, but there must be some behind-the-scenes turmoil where, you know, I can't imagine they came into the pay-per-view thinking this is this is how this match is going to wrap up. This almost seems like a last-minute. Um, you know, Randy shows up on the scene. They're like, "All right, Mach, um, what we're going to do is you're going to beat uh, Jeff with the elbow drop," and he's like, "I don't do that anymore." Okay, um, and they work through different athletic scenarios. Of uh, of something he could do, and eventually they come down. Will you punch him in the face and pin him? He's like that. I can do. So it's just a very interesting finish. I'm going to call it interesting. And yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a crazy finish. It it has to be something that 
couldn't have been their their first choice of how they wanted to wrap this up. I can't imagine, especially if you, if the idea here was to set up this big title match the next month. If you watched this, would you have been like, oh, can't wait for that Jeff Jarrett Randy Savage match? Certainly not. And punches are something that in real life, one punch to the face is devastating, especially delivered by someone who throws a really good punch. But in wrestling, you know, each match has 30, 40, 50 punches in it. So to see, to have Jeff Jarrett, world champion, kind of getting beaten by a single punch is, is, is just in, not even just in the context of that potential main event the next month, but just in the context of wrestling is super weird. Um, so this is a match I would recommend watching, not because it's a, a classic, but just because, you know, it's all these, all these huge names in one match. And uh, I mean, I have to assume this is the only time that AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy and Randy Savage were in the same match. So for that alone, it's worth it for sort of the, you know, peering through your uh, fingers sort of watch. And uh, it's just, it's just super weird ending that has to be seen to believe. Yeah, this is an, uh, objectively a dream team. Like those three, as a tag team, it's just especially when you you know what what Styles has gone on to do, and obviously Jeff Hardy's Jeff Hardy. It's like that's like three generations of, of supreme talent there in the same match, and it's it's a terrible match. I, I you'd say watch it, I'd say skip to the last two minutes, but <laughs> that's all you need out of this one. It's cool to see Savage come out, and you know he he, he doesn't do anything, but it's still kind of cool to see Savage come out, but. Yeah, don't don't put yourself through all 18 minutes of this match. <laughs> Probably not worth it. Skip to the end. Subscribe to GWN. Watch the last two minutes. Subscribe uh, to GWN and watch the bloody main event. That's what I'd say. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it probably made the main event all that much better just because of the match before it. But mm-hmm. um, this, you know, I, I uh, obviously I I'd watched the episodes leading up, and I was kind of I was aware of the the card going into the pay per view. But you know, when there's 50 minutes left and um, and Jeff Jarrett, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall come out. I was like, "Are these guys going 50 minutes?" And I remember, I don't know. There's the there's the six sides of steel tag match, and this is America's Most Wanted against Triple X, sort of concluding their uh, their little blood feud here. And uh, yeah, my God, I mean, I this is the first time I had seen this match in full. There's obviously the the moment in this match that I think probably anyone Impact fan or not that has seen seen this this moment um but i i wasn't aware of the rest of it and i was uh, i really enjoyed this from start to finish this this i will say is the best match in tna history you're, you're going there i'm going there I, I literally wrote this list for fighting spirit magazine the best 50 matches in tna history this was number one and obviously i'm an unimpeachable source and cannot be questioned um but I love this match. I love this match so much. And we talked to Chris Harris about this match. And, you know, just the, the fact that they main evented with this. They put the faith in these guys to go out there for 20 plus minutes in a six sides of steel. Triple X AMW. The losing team disbands. This is the, the culmination of a two year rivalry. This is the pinnacle. Like, it's just perfect. It's it's beautiful violence. It's insanely bloody. They're, they're like, the Skipper walks a steel cage, Dave. And it's not it's not your, your big WWE cage, which is like 17 feet wide. I may be exaggerating for effect. It's literally a couple inches. And he walks it. And Hurricane Rana is Chris Harris off that cage in a moment that if you have seen, you will not forget. Because it is literally one of the most amazing things you'll ever see in a wrestling ring. It's incredible. Um, and, you know, I I really enjoyed the match. And uh, I thought, you know, uh, everything I've seen of America's Most Wanted is, is really, really good. Obviously, Christopher Daniels and Eli Skipper are 
are great as well. Probably not as much of the uh, the kind of like classic unit as you as you talk about uh, Chris Harris and James Storm. But uh, I think probably where you know people might think of this match, and this is where I encourage people to watch the watch the entire thing, is they might think of it as a one moment match. But you know, after that Hurricane Rana off the top of the steel cage, the we have an elbow drop from the top of the cage by Christopher Daniels, which is if a hurricane run off the top of the cage hadn't just happened, that would be, you know, a moment that you'd see in all these these retrospective packages, but has come after something quite amazing. And then they do, I believe, a, a Tower of Doom mm-hmm. uh, also off off of the cage or it's... utilizing the cage. So it's, you know, it's uh, I just like that, you know, these guys had been given the shot to be in the main event, despite the fact that they weren't main eventers. And it really kind of uh, lent an egalitarian vibe to TNA and, and, you know, having the faith in, in performers that, you know, in terms of star power, this might've been fourth or fifth of the matches on the card. But given the fact to kind of settle this in a big way was not only ending the pay-per-view on a, on a, on the brightest spot possible, but showing faith in, uh, in, in these four guys to go out there and deliver it. My God, yeah, that, did they ever. I can't say myself having not seen a lot of the kind of uh, contenders for best match in TNA history, if this is it, but certainly of the matches I have seen, this is, this is the best one I've ever seen. These guys had an amazing match in 2003. It was also a cage match. It was in the Nashville days. It was fantastic. And I think most people going into the show would be like, oh, can they top that really good match? And this was like the first Six Sides of Steel match, which Six Sides of Steel is the best bit of alliteration in wrestling history. It's just so nice to say. That's great. And like most people going in, it's like, can they top that match? Because that match is fantastic. That that match is a, a superb steel cage match. And these guys go in there and they don't just top it. They top it considerably. Like this is reasonably better than that other amazing match. And at the first three-hour pay-per-view they they had a match where you know it was a really blown ending because Elix skipper had gotten a concussion mm-hmm. so um not just compared to that older cage match but just the match the month before you know talk about talk about a make good but uh it's kind of nice to see them get a chance to to make that one up in in the biggest way possible in this pay-per-view so you know if 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 you're gonna watch one match from this pay-per-view, probably one match in, in the history when you subscribe to the Global Wrestling Network and start your 30-day free trial. Uh, it's got to be this match. We received feedback, feedback from David Harold in Rother- Rotherham in the United Kingdom. And he says he believes this pay-per-view was the one that finally made people take TNA seriously and viewed them as an alternative. And I think if you look at that main event, four guys who have no experience elsewhere, they're, they're, fair enough, Daniels would be better known as maybe a Ring of Honor guy. But four guys that weren't from WCW, they weren't from ECW, they weren't from the WWF. These were were homegrown guys main eventing a pay-per-view over Randy Savage, Jeff Jarrett, Kevin Nash, Jeff Hardy and Scott Hall. Like that's a statement of intent in its own way. And they just killed it and had, as I said, what I think is the best match in company history. And it, it is like if you watch this show and, uh, you know, main events usually is what sticks in your mind, you know. If if a, if a show is a terrible undercard and a great main event, the main event uh, hangs in your mind longer than a terrible undercard. And the same way it works the other way around. If you have a great undercard but the main event is terrible, you're like, oh, well, you know, maybe I wasted my time. If you watched the show and came away from that main event, I don't know how you couldn't be like, I'm buying Final Resolution next month. Yeah, I think, you know, you always want to end on a high note, whatever you're doing, any kind of any kind of performance, any kind of media, and that, that was it. And I'm surprised you think of Christopher Daniels as a as a Ring of Honor guy. I think him as the guy from uh, Beyond the Mat. Oh well, 
that's it shows our points of reference, doesn't it? Yeah. And now it's our absolute privilege to go over to an interview with none other than one participant of the main event of Turning Point 2004, one half of America's Most Wanted, the Wildcat Chris Harris. Welcome back to Total Nonstop Recall. I am joined, it is my honor to be joined by one of the true legends of TNA, one of the one half of one of the most legendary tag teams in TNA, America's Most Wanted. I'm joined by the Wildcat, Chris Harris. Chris, how are we doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for including me. Thanks for having me. So I figure if we're talking about Turning Point 2004, legendary main event, the Triple X AMW steel cage match, which we'll get onto in a second, I, I had to talk to somebody from that match. But before we get there, tell me, uh, how did you get your start in TNA? Because obviously you were on the very first show. Yeah, uh, Storm and I were on the very first show. Um, we uh, we uh, actually traveled to, it was in Huntsville, Alabama. We traveled there together, uh, roomed together. So all that's kind of um, ironic. And um, we had done a, a tryout match in Nashville that uh, Jeff Jarrett and uh, some of the higher-ups from TNA were, they were there kind of, kind of scouting, but also, uh, getting their commentary team in, in check and uh, just just kind of getting everything in line for uh, for that first pay-per-view. Uh, and Storm and I were against each other, had a great match. Um, still today, one of my favorite matches. And um, I'm not sure they really expected that. Um, I know there were a few names on the on the show. Uh, but Storm and I went out and had just had a, one of our best matches and it really got some attention. And, um, you know, we were kind of looking for some feedback afterwards. And both of us had known Jeff from uh, WCW. And uh, Jeff looked at us, or he looked at me at least. Um, I think when I was um, in the back, uh, before he was getting ready to leave, he looked at me, he winked, and he said, we'll be in touch. And uh, within a few days, uh, they had offered us a contract for that for that first show. So. Um, that first show in Huntsville, Alabama, but I think Storm was in a tag match, and um, and I was in that gauntlet for the gold. But for the second show, we were already teaming, so it was right out of the gate that they had uh, put us together. Did you did you have any experience in a tag team before that? Um, I had had uh, most of my career at that point had been in singles, um, but I had a. I had dabbled a little bit with, with a couple tag teams, but nothing, nothing concrete, nothing permanent. And so even then storm and I had in our head, we had it to where we wanted to be, um, single stars for TNA. You know, we loved the opportunity. And of course we wanted to be part of this, you know, great company that, uh, you know, big things were headed. But I think in the back of our minds, we were, you know, we had both been singles, um, in the territories we were at. And, um, so it wasn't, it, it was not, it was not either one of our first choices, but we quickly learned, uh, in a situation like that, um, when the opportunity is there and, and I, I, my guess is that they, they, the company knew that they wanted us. They just didn't know what to do with us at the time. So I think it was one of those things where they just, uh, threw us together and, you know, let's just see what happens. And, 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 and storm and I's mind we were like, you know, look, if this, if this is what they've thrown at us, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to become the best tag team that, that we know how. 
And so him and I got together and, and we ran with it. We just, you know, we, we changed our attitudes and, you know, we got our name and, you know, just our attire, our, our trunks and all that. And, um, we just decided, you know, we were going to be the best tag team there was. Do you remember where the America's Most Wanted name came from? Um, I, I'm pretty sure that was, uh, that came from Storm. Um, and I remember when you know, I, I loved the name, I just didn't think it would work because uh, of copyright issues with the uh, America's Most Wanted television show. But but we liked it so much. Um, it was one of those step process things where I, they didn't want to use it, but uh, we wound up getting AMW on our trunks. And so little by little, we had, uh, I remember Mike Tanay and Don West, in commentary, once in a while you'd hear them crack about AMW or America's Most Wanted. So we, we got them guys uh, saying it. And then uh, Jeremy Borash was the ring announcer at the time, and he had, he had just announced us as our, as our names. And uh, it just started to catch on, and eventually we had Borash announcing this as America's Most Wanted. So it was one of those things that just caught on. Um, everybody started calling us that, and, and we stuck with it and, and ran with it. And thank God there was never, a, you know, any any kind of copyright problems. So, um, so yeah, I, I thought it was a great name. I loved it, um, and we just ran with it. So you and Storm, you know, you were kind of thrown together. Did sh- like on screen, you meshed immediately as a team. Did did you th- did you have any kind of problems, like like finding that chemistry with Storm? No, it was just one of those things. We, I mean, we were friends outside of the ring as well, and uh, we'd wrestled together or against each other several times. Um, so it was just one of those things. Uh, you would ask, you know, if I had any experience with tag team wrestling. I, I, I never really applied it, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I'd watched some legendary tag teams in the past. And, uh, I mean, we were big fans of the Hart Foundation, the Rock and Roll Express, um, just a lot of those teams you know, from the past or even the present at that time. And, um, every, anything that we knew about tag team wrestling, we just applied it to our team and, um, and it, it did click and the chemistry was there. And if I remember the time, right, it was at a period of time where there were a whole lot of mainstay tag teams. In fact, most of the, you know, any big company, they would, uh, maybe take two singles guys, put them together let them run for a very short time and then split them up. And so there wasn't anything really going at the time. And I can remember a lot of uh, interviews we did or a lot of uh, magazines. They were reporting that we were kind of bringing tag team wrestling back to the mainstream. And that, that really felt good, you know, and, and uh, again, all we were doing was just what we were taught, what we were trained to do. And we just applied it and, you know, it just got it got everybody's attention. So it it, it just it worked from the start. Did you have any like mentors in the locker room? Was there anyone who kind of helped guide you along? Well, back then they were they were pretty strong on a lot of the young guys. Uh, they were trying to build. Um, I think we had still had a few names around, but um, I think a lot of it was just you know we just applied what we knew, uh, what we had learned. Um, I do remember uh, a couple events that we did. Uh, Ricky Steamboat was there, and um, even though he had most of his success in singles, he was still a great tag team wrestler. So he, I remember he he coached us a lot, uh, which was really cool uh, hearing from him. Um, 
but there wasn't a whole lot around at the time. I mean, we further years down the road, uh, there were you know we always we always had an open ear to different people. I mean, we I remember sitting down with uh, Jake Roberts, uh, just learning psychology from him, and both of us you know just sit, sit mesmerized by him. Um, so and Jeff, of course, would always coach us. You know, I mean, it was it was his baby, his company, and so um, you know he was he would lead us in the right direction, and uh, we would just take you know take the reins and, and go from there. So um, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, coaching around, but uh, the the chances we had, the the opportunities we had to to get coached, uh, we would definitely take them. You had a lot of like legendary rivalries during those days because, as you said. For the four years you were in the company, I think many would accept one of the best tag teams in the world. And like you had great rivalries with the New Church, the Naturals, with uh, obviously Triple X, which we'll talk about in a second. Is there any that stick out in your mind? Do you have any favorites? Oh yeah, um, you know, working with some of the tag teams that we had watched um, in our career. Um, I think one of the first big ones we had was the Rock and Roll Express. We had a couple matches with them. And again, th- those were the guys that we had watched uh, getting into the business. Uh, so that was a thrill working with them. The James Gang, who used to be the New Age Outlaws, we we got to do uh, a couple different programs with them. That was a thrill uh, to be able to work with those guys, and we got along great with them and, and had had a lot of fun. Even by the point we were um, working with Team 3D, the Dudley Boys, uh, by the time they came into uh, TNA, you know. It, we had been established for, for a number of years, but, you know, you learn every day in this business. Um, every match is uh, a learning experience and getting a step in the ring with those guys, you know, uh, you know, we were still learning and, you know, a whole nother level of psychology. Those guys were great to work with. So, yeah, I mean, a, a few stick out. And then, of course, you know, you mentioned the Naturals, Triple X. You know, these are guys we just had instant chemistry with and they had some great matches with. So that brings us to the big triple X match. It's the the main event of the second monthly pay-per-view, main event of Turning Point 2004. Six sides of steel, losing team disbands. I, I like I checked the, the on the Impact YouTube channel. This match I think has it's one of the most viewed matches on the channel. It's I think one of the most famous matches in the history of the company for a lot of reasons. What do you remember about that match? Oh wow, it's so hard to think back sometimes now. I I remember it was the first six sides of steel match. Uh, because when uh, we went to the monthly pay-per-views, that's when we switched to the six-sided ring. Yep. Um, we had already had uh, uh, s- several, a number of cage matches in the company, but that was going to be the first six-sided ring, uh, six-sided cage match. Um, so they, they, I thought it was a great name, the Six Sides of Steel. Uh, it just gave it more of an impact to do that, and um, and for the company to to kind of put that on the four of us. That, that said a lot, you know, because they obviously had a lot of, uh, we had a lot of credibility and they had a lot of faith in uh, putting the four of us in the, the first um, six sides of steel match. So that's the main thing I remember about that. I mean, of course, the match itself, I, I mean, it, like you said, it was a, it's viewed by so many and it, it definitely is one of the greatest matches in TNA. I really believe that. But but that was that was one of the things that, that sticks in my mind first is that the, the company had enough faith in the four of us to go out and really kick ass on a, on an event like that and really put the six sides of steel on the map. And I like 
the match before you had Randy Savage in it. That must have been like a huge uh, vote of confidence in you guys. That's like you're main eventing a show ahead of Randy Savage. Yeah, man. And, and uh, if anybody knows me and, and the way I've uh, come up in my career, you know, Savage was one of my idols. I, you know, watched him, admired him, you know, patterned myself after him a lot. And um, so, yeah, when we when we had found out about the event and the, the order of the matches, um, you know, that was the, the – I think they did a six-man, um, you know, opposing with, with Jeff and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, for, for them to put us on the last and main event that event, um, and that was going to be, you know, uh, a debut for Randy and, and the company. So it was, yeah, that was, I'm thinking that my, my mind was probably focused on the match itself, but, but looking back, thinking that, it's like, yeah, we, we main evented an event with all those guys that were in the, the six-man match. So it was, that was a pretty big thrill, yeah. You know, and like I said, you know, to, to, even to get to meet Randy, that was a thrill just for me personally. And of course, like the legendary moment from that match is Eli Skipper walking the cage. You're the guy on the other side of that cage because like he's walking the cage, but you're the guy on the other side watching him, like taking the hurricane <laughs> ran off the cage. What's going through your mind? <laughs> <laughs> it's been funny all these years. Uh, yeah. That's what people remember about that. Most more than anything. Um, but of course they, they remember Elix doing it. Elix Skipper doing that. And, uh, I don't know how many times I've joked with somebody. I'm like, Hey, what about the guy that, that took that hit? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so it's, it's kind of been a, a, you know, I've tried to make it into a, you know, joke, um, in past years, you know, but, um, Elix does deserve a lot of credit for doing that. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the one that, that took that flip and, um, and those cages, um, it's no joke. Those, those are higher than most, uh, the average size cage that you, you see around the ring. Um, so it was, you know, a lot of times the cage is just a little bit higher than the, the top rope. And, you know, by no means is it ever easy to take a bump off the cage. If you look, go back and look at that match, that top of that cage is, is pretty darn high. And truth be told, you know, now, now all these years later, we can let it get, you know, um, earlier in the day, um, Elix had come to me with this idea. And I just thought it was crazy. Fairly understandably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it was crazy, and I thought it was damn near impossible to pull off. Now, Elix has done, had done his that several times from the top rope, um, and kind of, you know, that was kind of a part of his arsenal, and, and he did that very well. And I remember, I, I don't know exactly how I said it, but, we, you know, decided against it. But it, later on in the day, he, he came to me again, and, and he kept approaching me, and I remember I finally just looked at him, and this was not that far from uh, the beginning of the show. You know, we had worked out a few things, but, uh, you know, he, he pressed on about this um, a few times, and I finally, I just looked at him, and I said, can you pull this off, man? Can you do this? And he never broke confidence one time. I, I do have to say that. He said, I can do it. I can do it. And I said, okay, man, let's do it. You know, if you watch that spot, um, I'm up uh, on top. And I'm, I'm battling with Daniels just so I'm not sitting there waiting for anything. I'm battling with Daniels and, you know, Elix, Elix starts to make his way up and he had, he had some, he had some difficulty getting to the top of the cage. And I was already thinking, oh, damn, he, he can't even get on top. He can't get his footing. And I remember I was even looking at Daniels. I said, all right, what's plan B? 
because I don't think it's going to happen. And I remember I took my eyes off of him for a matter of seconds to, to when I was talking to Daniels. And by the time I looked back out of the corner of my eye, he's on top of me, and it, we went. So it, it happened that fast uh, for me thinking, okay, this is not going to work, to here we go. I remember taking that hit, and um, I think it probably just knocked the wind out of me. I thought I you know, did some damage to my ribs. But, um, but everything, uh, you know, considering how crazy of a move that was, uh, everything worked out. Elix was okay. I, I survived. And the crowd went completely nuts. And as, as you know, we still talk about it to this day. It's it's one of the most like and people when you think some people might think of like the WWE cages that are maybe a foot and a half wide. This is like like a few inches. It's there's a no margin for error. And I can just imagine you sitting there on the other side of the cage being like, what if he falls? What do you do? But hey, it worked out and it's immortalized. Yeah, man, we look back and it couldn't have been better. AMW continued on for another two years after that because Triple X broke up. It, uh, you, uh, you, I feel like you kind of hit your stride after that because there was the Team Canada the match of the month later and everything just seemed to click after that match yeah I, people forget about that Team Canada match I, I even though people were still talking about the, the six side to steal that Team Canada match was one of my favorite matches I've ever had with the company we clicked so good with uh, Bobby Roode and uh, Eric Young and that was one of my favorite matches. I, I still like going back and watching that. Um, we, they actually gave us some time in that. Like you said, I think uh, we, were, we were starting to do the monthly pay-per-views then. So um, I think the company was getting a stride as well. And, and we were, and that was, let's see, that's 04. So by 06, I think, um, um, within the next couple of years, that's when uh, we, we turned heel and went with Jeff. And that was a whole nother, a whole nother step for uh, America's Most Wanted, because uh, I know a lot of you know we we had been big fan favorites, not only in Nashville but um, in Orlando and everywhere we were going. You know we were just you know we were big on the scene, and so that was a big shock. You know that, which is of course what we all look for is the shock value, uh, but for us to turn heel and all we had to do was align with Jeff. People hated Jeff. So we aligned with Jeff, and immediately we're just the, we're the most hated team in the country, and um, that just took us to a whole nother level. You know, we we learned all, so much different psychology that way, and and I think we, even though we were heels, we were we took it a step a step more for the next uh, couple of years until until we had to split up. Do you think AMW gets the credit? Like, I I don't see enough people talking about how good AMW. I know I I don't want you to like. I, I'm sure you're saying they're not wanting to like big yourself up that much, but like I really don't feel like AMW get the credit they deserve, considering like the, the, like AMW is the best team in the world for four years. I'll say that. I'll say that for you. Do you do you think you get the credit you deserve? <laughs> I it, it felt pretty good at the time. Um, you know, when we first got noticed, uh, you know, when we were first together, you know, we 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 got some attention and. You know, as we progressed, uh, it was it was kind of talk of the wrestling world. And like I said, even when we turned heel, I I think we were still getting some recognition. So um, it was definitely there. I can't say we went unnoticed. Um, whether or not we got the credit we deserved, um, I don't know. That's that's just kind of up to each individual person as to uh, 
you know, whether or not they even like tag team wrestling, and if they do, you know, who, who they're going to enjoy. And I think people really enjoy matches. Um, I really do. I've been told that many times, and it just it just kind of shows, you know, with uh, the mat, some of the matches they still talk about, you know, it wasn't just that that cage match. I mean, there was a number of different matches people still talk about with us, and um, I, I I love going back and watching them sometimes. You know, I'm still a wrestling fan, and I I. I think that we were one of the best tag teams in the world at the time. And um, who knows, maybe even if we had carried on, it, it, it would have gone longer. But you got to remember in the wrestling business, uh, you know, you're only as hot as the last thing you do. So, you know, once you split, um, you know, they may pay attention to your singles careers for a little while, but, um, you know, people are going to move on to the next thing. So, um I'm glad we got the attention that we did at the time, and I'm I'm glad people still remember that. I, I, it's you know it's been, you know, with each passing year, you know, it's been so many years now, over ten years since since we were a team. So, um, you know, a lot of wrestling fans nowadays may not may not have experienced it at the time, but I know I you know still at, at events that I go to, I still have a lot of a lot of even younger guys talk about some of the matches that they have watched us. Uh, gone back and watched. So that that makes me feel really good, knowing that you know some of the young guys that want to go back and watch watch tapes or DVDs um, that were were part of that group that they'll go back and watch. So uh, you were mentioning you broke up. How did you feel about like at the end of two thousand six? How did you feel about that at the time? Did you feel like it was the right time, or were you kind of hesitant about it? Well, the interesting part is um, TNA wanted to break us up back in the Nashville days before we even started those monthly pay-per-views, and we were still doing the weekly pay-per-views. Um, it's one of those things in the wrestling business. We've heard it. A lot of us that have been around for a while have heard it. You know, once you get hot, they want to shut you down. And I kind of felt like that's what was going on. Um, you know, we, we started to get really hot, and um, there's, they started to put some dissension with us, and the, the long-term plan was to split us up. And Storm and I were still the young guys. You know, we it's not like we had any pool or anything, but we believed so much in this team that we actually went to, you know, some of the, the higher-ups, and we said, look, man, we really believe that we, we can go further with this team. We, we feel like there's a lot more life than America's most wanted. And and we we stuck to it. We pushed for it. And, um, you know, and they wound up keeping us together, thank God. Uh, so, so I feel like we had a great run. Like I, I brought this up before, you know, considering so many tag teams, you know, they, they, they're together for a number of months and they're they're gone. They split, they feud. You know, we had a lot of life. And um, when the time came in uh, the end of '06, was it the right time? I mean, it, who knows? Um, I think we still could have done something, but um, that was part of the plan. Even when they split, split us, uh, Storm and I, again, it was one of those things. We looked at each other and said, you know, people are going to test us now with our singles run. We're probably going to go catch a lot of flack, you know, that we're not the same as we were in a tag team. But, and we were out to prove everybody wrong, and we did that first. But when we had our feud and we were uh, having matches against each other, and, uh, again, one of the matches a lot of people bring up is the Texas Death Match. You know, we just went out and, and killed each other. Uh, but we stuck to a, a good psychology of the match, and uh, it got it got a lot of people's attention. So I think even even though we were apart, we were still we were still making a name for ourselves, even in singles. 
so uh, you you would have left TNA toward the end of 2007, sorry, 2008. Did the did, do you do you have any regret about how it ended, or was it just is it just the way it was? Well, nowadays I look back and I just I have to kind of accept that you know it is what it is, and it turned out the way it, way it did. Um, but no, I mean there you know there's a lot of regrets you can you know I, I try not to beat myself up about it, but um, yeah, considering the way it ended, I would have loved to I I would have loved to have stuck around and and. There was so much more to do, you know. Storm went on to great success, and singles. Um, some of my other buddies, you know, Bobby Roode, Eric Young, you know, went on to great singles success. So I, I feel like I, I could have been part of that group. I feel like I, there was a lot more I could have done, but I knew what I was doing at the time. I can't go back and blame anybody. Um, you know, it ended the way it ended, and, and um, you know, my contract was up. I had some decisions to make, and there really wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, for me in TNA at the time and you know a little behind the scenes kind of thing they you know I know a lot of the other guys went through this but they wanted to just take a pay cut you know for whatever reason um, so there were a lot of decisions that um, that factored in to uh, to the big picture but again I try not to beat myself up about it but yeah if, if I had to do over again I, I would have tried to work something out to where I could have stuck around a lot longer looking back on your entire like TNA tenure all what five and a half years of it? What do you think, say, your and AMW's legacy will be? Well, I, I really hope that people look at us as, as one of the greatest tag teams there ever was. Um, you know, in our mind, we had that in our head. You know, all the years that we had watched. You know, there, there's there's some there were some great tag teams, some legendary tag teams. Uh, but the wrestling world evolves, and so as as they evolve, as these younger younger stars and uh, younger generation come up, I hope that they can look back on us and look at us as, you know, some of the greatest uh, guys that ever stepped in TNA or, or in the wrestling business itself. So I'd, I'd, I'd love that people go back and watch some of the matches. Um, I love that people look back at us as one of the best tag teams there was. And, and, and most of all, now that, you know, I've gotten older and I'm, I'm looking back on it, the, the main thing is that I feel like I had a successful career and I had fun. The wrestling business is what I wanted to be a part of. It was it was my dream. I fought very hard to make it a make it a reality. And the bonus was, you know, who, know, who knew that I would be part of one of the best tag teams there ever was. So not only do I have that to look back on, but, you know, I got to do it with a great friend and, uh, Close brother, you know James Storm. You know we still we still talk to this day. We're still close. In fact, just a matter of a few months ago, we got to team up again. So, you know it's it's really. Uh, I hope people look back on that, and I hope that people will always remember us. And anytime they they think of TNA and think of you know where it started and, and the originals, you know whether it's you know Chris Daniels or AJ or Team Canada, you know. A lot of those guys, you know, I, I'd like to think that um, they put Chris Harris and James Storm, America's Most Wanted, right, right in that pack. If people want to find you online, Chris, where can they go? Um, I have a Twitter and a, I even have a Facebook now. Oh, my Twitter is at AMW Wildcat. So that's probably the easiest way to, to find me is uh, at AMW Wildcat. <clears throat> um, I have fun with Twitter all the time, and I've even been talked into doing Facebook now. So, um, 
And I still, once in a while, like to get out for some events. I have uh, a local local company that uh, I actually started with, Abyss and I started with, that um, I still come around, and I, I love helping out the young talent. So I do that, and then I still do other events as well at, at times. Uh, once in a while, I might have a match. Uh, sometimes I just do signings, but but I love still getting out there and, and talking to the fans, and, you know, once in a while, when I can uh, gear myself up for it, I can even step in the ring again. So, um, so yeah, that's been fun. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Well, I really appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm glad that uh, that match, you know, came to your attention. And um, I love reminiscing about it. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see Daniels and uh, Elix Skipper again someday. Um, like I said, I get to see Storm once in a while. But um, that's definitely one of the best memories I have. So that, that is Turning Point 2004, which I think, as I said, I think it's a, an infinitely better show than Victory Road. I think it's a much more cohesive, kind of a, a fuller show that's less like throwing stuff at the wall and more like, you know, we have confidence in this thing we're doing. And it's just, it's just from a quality standpoint, it's just a better show. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it more. And, and you know, it, it's fun to watch this in order because a lot of this, I don't know what, what is coming up. I'm excited to see. And, you know, it's... Uh, what is the next pay-per-view that we're watching? It's Final Resolution 2005. Okay, and what do we have to look forward to on this show? There is a Monty Brown in the main event against Jeff Jarrett. All right, here we go. Monty's getting the bell, right? <laughs> of course. And an Ultimate X match between Petey Williams, Chris Saban, and uh, AJ Styles. Great. I'm excited. I can only imagine that match is going to deliver. So uh, this is the part where we encourage you to watch along with us. Please... Watch Final Resolution 2005 and the, the television preceding it if you choose to. And send us your feedback. Garrett, what's the email for that? gkidney at impactwrestling.com. G-K-I-D-N-E-Y at impactwrestling.com. We'll throw out that plug on on the GWN socials when, we, when we're coming up to recording as well. As you see, we, we had three people sent in feedback. All three got their feedback read out. So, you know, <laughs> the, your odds are pretty good. Yes, exactly. I'm, I am shocked and heartened that people have uh, wa- listened and watched and provided feedback so thank you so much for that I, I see this as ideally some, a sort of a classic TNA book club where we all decide what we're going to watch and then we watch it and we all kind of talk about what we liked and didn't like and um, you know you folks being the third host of the show would be an ideal scenario for me just because it's a, even less heavy lifting for me to do if Garrett's just reading feedback and I'm going yep nope uh, so send in your feedback and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed and and uh, we're going to keep doing this every two weeks mm-hmm. and that is a lovely note to end on you can subscribe to the Global Wrestling Network and you can watch all of the TNA library you can watch every single pay-per-view it's all sitting there waiting for you uh, you get a free 30-day trial and it's seven ninety nine every month after that you think it's worth it you can also watch Impact for free the new episodes so you know do that too Follow us on Twitter at TWNF. Follow us on at Impact Wrestling. Watch Impact on Pop every single Thursday at 8 p.m. Dave, that's our episode. All right, Garrett. Thank you so much, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye, everybody. <laughs>